we had a three-year gap, but it didn't feel too, too dissimilar. It was sort of like same, same, but different again. Just of being on the floor, it felt, I thought I was going to be mind blown. You woke up and it was all a dream. I woke up and I was like, man, it's 2020 again. everybody, and welcome back to The Human Element, Kara's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing. I'm excited to kick off our first episode of 2023 with some of our favorite returning guests, Sarah Stringer, EVP Head of U.S. Media Partnerships at Dunsu, and Michael Liu, SVP Head of Innovation at Kara, to cover all things CES, the annual trade show showcasing the latest products and technologies within the consumer electronics industry. Sarah and Mike, welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. So CES looked a lot different this year, uh, not only being the first one back in two years in person, but the timing really only allowed for about 48 to 72 hours of a trip. Can you give us a day in the life of what your trip looked like this CES? Oof, I mean, it's back. It feels like it's back. There is a lot of people here. It's kind of overwhelming, actually. Trip back was, you know crammed media executives on every single flight, lots of flight delays, but people are pumped to be here. And it really kind of feels like we've come back to sort of big media conferences, like back full-fledged. I mean, I think Cannes was probably like a good start for 2022, but this definitely feels like, dare I say it, 2020 didn't happen, even though I'll be honest, we have all been joking that this is probably going to be an enormous super spreader event. (laughs) Yeah, there's a ton of people here. I'm, I'm quite surprised, but I gather a lot of people just kind of want to get back to the floor, see what's been going on. It's been a lot of growth. I mean, three years is a long time. And so for all these, I guess, companies that haven't had work trips or trips in general to spend time with each other and you know, a lot of their counterparts might be across the world. I've heard this is like a great place for them to just meet at and connect and see people they've probably worked with for many years without meeting them in person. So... Surprise, but not surprised. There's so many people here, but it does feel like it's it's back in full fledged. So when did you both arrive? So I arrived Wednesday afternoon and literally dumped my bags, grabbed my badge, went onto the show floor on press day. And for anyone who hasn't been to CES before, I mean, the whole, you know, structure of the show, it's really quite amazing what they build, but you would be surprised in how short a time period they actually build it. I went in on show floor probably about 5 p.m. There are cherry pickers like whizzing around you. There's no health and safety. Basically, look after yourself. You're you're lucky to be here. So there's scaffolding all over the floor and there's just a lot of exhausted people sleeping in corridors after what I imagine is probably a very hectic at least 24 to 48 hours. So I got onto the floor had a quick look around some of the sort of the key areas that had been already set up. LG was already like letting people in. Some of the other like big um, TV uh, like companies like Sony, as much as they made the announcements, weren't actually really allowing people into the space until launch day. So it was good to get a bit of a, a head start and also nice to contextualize what I was reading on the flight. Mike and I were being nerds and doing our homework early. So both of us were live adding to links and and press coverage that we were seeing on press day before obviously then kicking things off properly on Thursday. Yeah, I I was supposed to come in at the same time as Sarah, but my flight got delayed. So I didn't get to do all that stuff, but I was living vicariously through her and we were big nerds texting each other 
and trying to just figure out what was going on and what to expect because, you know, it's been a while since we've been back here. So, you know, we were anticipating, was it going to be the same thing or is it going to be a completely different experience here? But felt very same, same, but different slightly. Yeah, yeah completely. Absolutely. If you could explain CES this year in one word, what would it be? Back? I don't know. <laughs> Attended. <laughs> just sort of like, Full. Right, we're going really yeah. factual on yeah. this one. Yeah. Full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's honestly is I can't tell you just how rammed it is. Like very busy. And even, you know, not only obviously the showroom floor, like there are queues to get into exhibits and so forth. Maybe it's that we're just way more aware of crowds now because obviously it has been a while since we have been in an environment that is so tightly packed like like this as a conference. So maybe obviously the last three years has really also made us hyper vigilant around just how many people are around. I don't know if I was as conscious of all the crowds on the conference floor as well as the events and the parties because I went to a party last night and it was just so packed that I just had to get out of there. And that could be... A, that I just have no patience for crowds anymore, or, or B, that you know, I was just really conscious of, man, I'm going to get coughed on, sweated on, spit on, you know, all these... <laughs> what kind of party Welcome is this? What event. kind of party is this? <laughs> <laughs> but just being around a lot of people was just kind of felt uncomfortable. So um, I think that sort of mentality transferring over from the pandemic into a large-scale event, which is pretty much like possibly kicked off the pandemic, comes full circle. Maybe that's the word, full circle. Mm, nice. I like that. All right. Maybe that's that's our subtitle of this pod. That said, though, why do you think CES is still important for brands to attend? It's still the place where people are making their projected view of the future of how we'll live, you know, near near future, far future. And, you know, we spend so much time as a society with technology nowadays that, you know, whether it's in the home, in the car, by ourselves with friends out and about like technology plays like an extremely important role and a huge role in how we interact with one another as well. So I think it's just a great place for us to be inspired for us to be able to see how others are seeing the future and their perspective. It's really cool just to kind of see what that could look like to better inform how we as agencies and brands should be speaking to them and interacting with them. Mike did an amazing job when he was running through our sort of trend predictions for 2023, talking about things like generative AI, that, you know, AI has been a common theme and trend, but it's quite hard to qualify that kind of like on the floor of a place. But CES gives you that tangible hardware, like this is something you can put on your face and, and have a look at the latest AR wearable, or, you know, this is a collaboration between Sony and Honda on a car that they're working on. Like it gives you a physical, believable thing that is built that you can aim for that makes you think this is a step closer to becoming a, a scaled behavior for people. Interestingly, I think maybe this year more than other years and maybe moving forward that events like this will become the way that some of our, you know, clients and partners and, you know, agency folks will regularly meet up in person to actually have maybe different conversations as we see, you know, more distributed workforces that events like this really allow for an up-leveling of relationships and a fast-tracking of, of planning because they're actually just going to be able to simply get in a room with each other. I'd, I'd gather in the past that CES was a conversation of, wow, these are some really cool technologies and things that are going to really affect our future and how we interact with media and things like that too. But then the deeper that integration goes and how far in advance that the technology that's powering it is is. AI, 
AR, things like that. Like we're getting the conversations about ethics. We're getting conversations about privacy and regulation and data safety. These are things that were probably not as prevalent of a, of a topic in years past. And so I agree. I think that CES has become a conversation starter for not only the technology side of things, but like how does it affect our society as a whole? A big trend that we were talking about this year was about AI. And with AI comes the baggage of ethics and regulation and bias and potential weaponization and things like that, how you use that, that tool. So, you know, as you go through and you see a technology, it's cool. But then you're like, oh man, like what does this mean for all the other things that come with it, all the data that's get, getting collected, all the data that's being created? How do we as a brand or an agency actually work with this and move around what will come out of this, which I find fascinating now. Yeah, kind of thinking about it. I actually saw a really interesting post and it was just a soundbite. I have not read the whole thing as a preface that Doug O'Reilly shared saying that some people are talking about chat GPT as a scaled mimicry engine because mm. it essentially scrapes and mimics things. And I was like, that's actually really interesting. We kind of still think that AI is smarter, but it's not really. It's just cobbling things together. So I think things that we can contextualize more and it feels like it's more real. I think now we're having more conversations about the, the sort of full broad conversation around ethics and to your point as well as you know what's right what's wrong how accurate is it I think these are things that previously we were just excited by something new and we'd try it but I think we're I think probably through experience have learned that we should probably maybe stress test some of these concepts more before we just jump in yeah and you know even on that point um, AI is being designed to create the illusion of being us right like that's the whole point of AI and, and what the Turing test is, is sort of that gold standard of can AI trick us into believing that it is a human. And I heard actually a lot of the, the training data that is used is on Wikipedia. So, so, I mean, Wikipedia is a grand source for a lot of things, right? There's a lot of dangers, off, of course, because it's, it's crowdsourced as well, but it's being constantly being tried to being validated, but obviously it has bias, right? So all those things about it being a mimicry and, and it being a big machine of illusion is true. But I think it's mimicking sort of how we try to learn, right? If we were to try to, I mean, for us right now, we're talking about CES, it's the things that we've seen on the stage, it's gonna be the things that we've read online. Right. Sort of like very similar ways that AI is also picking up things. So I, I'm f deeply fascinated in seeing where this goes and I'm so excited that 2023 and 2022 are gonna be, was a big year and is going to be a big year with AI at the center of conversations. What I'm hearing and maybe I'm just, Jaded because I miss CES and I can't believe I'm not there. No, this year. no, you, we miss no, you, you don't. But you, honestly, you don't. You don't. You're not. You're I good. love. I it's love okay. it because one, it's the timing of the year, right? You're in the desert. We talk about innovation as an industry all the time. You talk about that day in and day out in your respective field, but with the people that you meet on the ground at CES, that conversation seems to shift and get heightened a little bit more at CES versus those day to day emails and phone calls you might be getting with those same exact people year round. So, 100%. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, it's just a bunch of nerds getting together and we love it. <laughs> or giving people a window of an opportunity to be a nerd when they have to worry about all the other stuff during the rest of the year. Yeah. That's one of the big things we were talking about when we kicked off the Dentsu Breakfast was just to have fun here. We have so many clients. It was their first time. You know, Sarah gave the great sage advice of stay hydrated. If you see a bottle of water, Seriously, take, take it. Take it. Take the water any time of the day or night. Take a bottle of water and drink it. That is my sage advice. <laughs> and I, it's so true because you're so dehydrated out here because you're also walking all day on the floor and, you know, you're in the desert. But yeah, it's just, it's so fun and inspiring just to see 
what these prototypes experiments and again a proposed future looks like you know we see so many things that hit the floor 10 years ago five years ago three years ago you know that aren't there anymore but you know this proposed future is what really gets us thinking about you know in a philosophical sense that we don't get to do that often on the day-to-day yeah i love that so before we start talking a little bit about the future of media and technology what brands or companies made an impression on you this year at ces I think it was interesting that Sony decided not to show any TVs. I think that was really interesting. Like, look, CES is historically a TV show. Like, that's kind of its bread and butter. And it's interesting to see sort of like one of the really big, you know, tried and true Sony platform, like not talking about TVs. So their big news was the PlayStation VR 2. And obviously it was interesting because they had put the sort of TV, traditional like TV section next to their gaming and metaverse and AR and VR section as well. So I thought that was also quite interesting, I guess, with where we've seen sort of the mood of the industry into immersive tech that we sort of see like the, you know, the big flagship TV companies being kind of put next to some of these like really hot areas that, that people are really talking about. Not to name drop, but we had a dinner with Edward Norton on Wednesday night, which was pretty crazy. I didn't realize it's amazing how many sort of celebrities have media companies and are really present at at events like this. But Edward Norton is incredibly passionate about TV and entertainment measurement. I mean, I had no idea, but his company EDO is essentially using a similar framework to what financial institutions use around investment data. And I think it just goes to show like the amount of rigor and interest and science that's going into media. And again, I think the industry is moving into so performance heavy, you know, really laser focused, you know, effectiveness of every single impression. And I thought that was really interesting. And this sounds really patronizing, but I was very impressed with the, I was like, this is your like, what, probably second, third, fourth job, but you do it very well. So he was very inspiring to to listen to and, and also to sort of contextualize where he as a actor and content creator was coming from as to why he cared so much around how effective and efficient the business model is even around marketing TV shows and movies. Because if you think about it, many actors are obviously now compensated on the performance of the end product versus just a flat fee to sort of get them to sign on. So I just think it's it's an interesting switch from sort of just an idea of like awareness and flashiness that we're really seeing like so much focus on the nuts and bolts of performance and measurement. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because even we had a conversation with Paris Hilton. She has her own media company and I think it's really important for them to, you know, as they build their empire, be aware of all the technology that's available, where the trends are going, where people are going to be because they find this as like a completely different new revenue channel. I, I also agree. I think Sony did a lot of great stuff. That was a fascinating thing that Strings pulled out and, you know, brought to my attention too when she first hit the floor was like, Sony isn't even showing their TV. They're showing all the other screens that they're creating, which kind of fits into this, the narrative that we were, were talking about for the past couple of years or few years was, you know, screen agnostic and just transmedia storytelling is a really big way that all brands are looking at the future of being in front of, you know, consumers at any point in time. I'd say one of the, the companies that I read about first, and I haven't visited the booth yet, which I'm going to go tomorrow, was DeepMind's Rememory booth. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on the kickoff as well, but DeepMind is creating this process where they can conduct interviews 
of yourself or loved ones telling stories and saying a few sentences to be able to mimic your, I guess, the way you look, your facial features, your structures, how you speak, and your voice as well. And to be able to create memories and be able to converse with this AI-powered being or projection in the future. So basically looking to preserve memories of people who pass and wild to think about it. It's like a Black Mirror episode, really. Yeah, in real life. Yeah. And, you know, art imitates life, life imitates art. I'm sure these are these are concepts that's been around for many, 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 many years, sometimes even decades, because AI is, as a practice has been going on since like the 30s and 50s. But just seeing how far it's gone is, is quite fascinating. And again, it, it brings us to, this is cool tech, but then the philosophical questions behind it of, the ethics, should we make this? You know, if somebody passes, can you still give them videos and voice memos and pictures of loved ones to recreate a quote-unquote their soul? And, you know, is this legal? And if the technology is open source, you can't really control it at that point. Anybody can start doing that. And then not only giving it to them, but taking video of anybody else you might not even know. And then putting them and creating them and making them do whatever you'd like them to do. And, you know, we've, we've talked about this in 2020 again about like deep fakes and that technology has skyrocketed since then as well. The progression of where that's going is, is scary. CES is a very inspiring yet alarming place to be right. when you start to think about it a little bit deeper. Right. I don't know if you remember this a couple of years back when the self driving car hit the, the self audio robot. It was like a promotional robot that just like summed up CES in a nutshell. <laughs> is that, you know, there's so much inspiration, but there's also so much to your point, Mike, like, is this, should this be created? Have we thought of X, Y, and Z? Does this make sense from an ethical and moral standpoint? And what for, like, to what cause, right? So there is a lot of responsibility that comes with seeing all of the things that you've seen on the show floor. Yeah, we talk about this a lot too, is is all this technology that people are building towards and creating is super, super cool, really interesting stuff. But at the same time, I don't know if the creators are, are thinking about the unintended consequences. And at a huge, huge major level, there could be like the death of humanity to super robots and super intelligent AI as we start to compete for resources, right? If that ever happens. And then on the like the lower level, you know, if we start using AI for everything and be so dependent on it, Similar like how we are so dependent on Google search and our phones, like we have a gap in knowledge retention in younger generations because of that. Like mm -hmm. I remember four phone numbers now, <laughs> right? <laughs> Barely. And I used to be able to just rattle them off, you know, on the party line. But, you know, back in the day, but it's just it's like impossible now. And if you ask a kid to remember some of these things, I, I guarantee you they probably won't. Or maybe they're just remembering different things. That could probably be it as well. But our reliance on technology is is replacing a lot of the things that we we hold, you know, as core of human skill sets that we should probably have a good short-term memory. But we all default to things that we can just look up at an instant. So those are those are small, minor, but still impactful unintended consequences from the adoption of technology and the advancement of it. Completely. I mean, I not to say that marketers are saving lives, but you know that is a large role of marketers and brands in, in the industry is to view these things and help to identify some of those holes that are missing and how that scales, right? So that kind of leads into my next question: is leading into twenty twenty three, what are some of the some context into how 
this will play a larger role into what will be adopted in technology of what you saw on the ground? Like, what are some of the other influences that are going to be at play? The, you know, Metaverse has been such a hot topic and a big media buzzword for the last, what, 18 months. We're sort of seeing a shift away from just this idea of you being fully immersed into a digital world, into kind of this idea of what does hybridization look like, you know, AR, it's it's interesting to see. So Magic Leap uh, was showing and they had their headset that people can try on. I actually want to go back tomorrow and yeah. try that because I've not tried it yet. There have been, you know, AR wearable startups that have shown at CES for years. But I think what we're starting to see is, you know, big landmark names, Niantic and their partnership with Qualcomm and their wearable. And obviously we are predicting or expecting there to be a version of some Apple wearable at some stage during this year. I mean, I know you mentioned yesterday, Mike, that the potential price point on that might be $3,000, which seems a bit crazy for a consumer product, but let's see. On that point, though, because it's funny, we, we were talking to Brian Cooley yesterday as well with some of our clients, and we challenged that price point too. And he's just like, well, you know, his tenants of, of value and technologies, if it provides some sort of value to you, you'll find a customer. Mm. You know, 10 years ago, it would be unfathomable for us to spend $1,200 on a phone, right? You know what I'm right, saying? Fair. Or Apple AirPods, whatever, the, the headphones, they have hundreds of dollars for that too. Mm-hmm. But you'll find a segment that does that. But perhaps that's just for the early adopters and they start to get a little bit more accessible later. Yeah, completely. Completely. So I think we will start to see more adoption or recognition of AR in people's day-to-day lives. I think, you know, scaled platforms like Snap have, I think they in a weird way, they've made AR so normal that people kind of forget that they are at the forefront, they are fully scaled, and that AR is a core component of their of their offering. So I think that we'll expect to see probably that raise its head again. I think, you know, a lot of clients have been thinking about things like VR and, you know, immersive media because of Metaverse and obviously, you know, Meta Horizon Worlds and, and what have you. But I think we're going to start seeing this sort of like hybrid real world with a digital layer over the top of it as being like a really interesting play area. That's probably I'm most excited about demoing and trying on the floor is I tried to sign up for Magic Leap yesterday, but the queue was hours. Yeah, right. So I couldn't do it. So I'm going to try to go back early tomorrow, but I was able right before this to check out the HTC Vive. Mm. They just announced their XR headset, super light, very, very cool. And I was able to kind of see the difference because if you try on an Oculus Quest 2, which I know you have, mm-hmm. the camera's outside when you make your boundary. It's like a very fuzzy, grainy, black and white you know, sensor of the space, sort of like looking at a F- Xbox Kinect. Mm-hmm. This actually had a camera on the outside, so you could actually have really, really great high-fidelity pass-through, which the pass-through is being able to see through the goggles as if you weren't wearing them. Right. And so they have a camera on the outside of it that pretty much has a screen on the inside and kind of puts it on that screen. So it's pretty clear in the fact that you can read your text message. So I was operating on my phone, but at the same time, looking at everything else that's being projected in front of me. And that's the key difference of how they're approaching it versus, which I'm really looking forward to from Magic Leap, is that they're actually projecting light at you and putting it on glass in front of you instead of actually having a screen that you're looking at. So just the way that these two companies are even thinking about... Tackling it so differently. (laughs) So different. And and Niantic, and I was kind of talking to the HTC Vive folks, and it's like, well, what do you think about Niantic? And they're just like, yeah, they're going to be a a player in the space at some point in time, nowhere near anytime soon. But their vision, because they have Lightship and their, their whole developer kit... You know, they're looking at, again, transmedia storytelling. Mm-hmm. 
the base of their users are using their phones to play these games and map out the world and project on top of that through your phone. And then another screen could be these goggles. And so being able to seamlessly go through all of them just really fits that storyline of just kind of just being everywhere and having a very consistent experience. And as marketers, making sure you have a consistent brand story across every single touch point you have. Yeah. So let's hedge some bets on some other topics. I know we talked about generative AI a little bit, AR, but up or down and quick thoughts on some of the following topics. Okay. One, rolling screens. Can we say that they're gone now or like rolling no, screens? I think no. That, no, I think those, they're, they're going to cool. keep continue to grow. I think that the price point on a rolling screen is still pretty high. $100,000. Yeah, I mean, like, come on. <clears throat> but I mean, I think that the idea of having a... Less technology in your face. You know, everyone's looking for that minimalist lifestyle at home. The idea that you, you know, as much as you might love TV, you might not want it constantly glaring at you all day. I I really like the concept of a rolling screen. I just think they're too pricey right now. Yeah, if you think about it, the gut reaction is like, why the heck would anybody want to buy this? Or who would use a rolling screen and all that kind of stuff too. But if you look behind it, it's, okay, what are they trying to enable mm. in five, 10 years? They're just experimenting. These are prototypes. They're great. You know, it's tough to do these ups or downs because we're you're trying to see what slow, like, what, gradual increase over time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the five to ten, the five to ten year. That's a good one. Mike. Yeah, the five to ten year. I mean, <laughs> if you think about it, and this is something that we love talking about is AI where it is today. And again, it was a practice since the 30s and 50s, right? And it's a concept that's an ancient civilization concept in general. But we've been expecting it to be HAL 9000 for however many years. It's this concept that you know I've, I've I've read somewhere that I absolutely love. It's called delayed disruption, and how all of these things come about, and we expect so much out of it, and so then we everybody goes through that trough of disillusionment, and then it comes back again, sort of like any hype cycle. Same thing with metaverse, same thing with AR, same thing with VR. QR codes, QR codes. <laughs> all we need is a global pandemic to get those, you know, <laughs> popping again. But then same thing with foldable rolling screens. You know, right. let's let's see where maybe later on it might become this really novel thing, but it could be integrated in our everyday lives in the next 10, 15 years. I still argue there's nothing more satisfying than having a Motorola Razor phone and then snapping it closed at the end of a phone call to feel like you're sassy. So, hey, if a folding screen phone can give that back to me, maybe I'm in for it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Flying cars. So quadcopters, I guess, is that what they're called? No idea. They're essentially drones that you can sit in. There are more conversations about, I think United has actually invested into, I can't remember the name of the company. They have actually invested into a firm that will offer, I guess, transportation, I'm assuming from airports then to, you know, smaller, more local, I guess, airfields. It concerns me. I think it's not that the technology is not there, but I think it makes me a bit scared about thinking like, don't get me wrong, traffic. I use Uber all the time, but I don't know if I want every Uber driver I ever get in a ride with to be driving a helicopter. So yeah, I think that the the fact that we don't have like delivery drones yet, because obviously they are essentially weapons that could accidentally fall from the sky if there's anything that goes wrong. I think regulation and legislation, will it will take a long time until we get something that feels like a scaled flying car situation, because let's be honest, it's not safe for things to be in the sky and lots of people to not have a, you know, air traffic control situation. So as much as the technology might be there, I would imagine maybe the use cases of that will not be, you know, as widespread in the next even decade, I think, just based on safety. Is it a dumb question to say, like, is this a helicopter on wheels? Is that essentially what? Yeah, I know. Me saying flying cars and you're like helicopter. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so that's, that's that's a no for me. 
in the near future. Just because, I mean, Hun- <laughs> last time we were on the floor in 2020, Hyundai and Uber announced a partnership and they said they'd have their flying cars in the air by 2022. So it's 2023. Obviously, we, the world's gone through some stuff, but I mean, we can't even get a Hyperloop situation going on, you know, drilling into the ground. But imagine having regulation, air rights, traffic control, everything in the in the air. So let's just build better <laughs> highways. And- <laughs> right. Public transport, anyone? I actually went on the Hyperloop here. So for any attendees, you could go on the Vegas Loop. It's, it is kind of like going into, it does feel quite sci-fi, sort of going down the ramp into this fluoro tunnel with light. I will say it's pretty lo-fi. It's basically a tiny tunnel. There is no automation around the driving of it. The human is driving it. So I was like, this is lo-fi MVP. It is not kind of what I was expecting. <laughs> I did not feel like we were joking about, you know, those... um things that you put your cash into at a supermarket and then it like goes up to, I guess, I don't know, the administration office to like count the cash. That's kind of what I was expecting Hyperloop to be. And it's just a tunnel with a car. Like a vacuum. I was like, couldn't uh, this just be a train? I don't know. (laughs) This could be a whole conversation in itself. So let's keep this short. NFTs. Man, Chelsea, you (laughs) you want a simple answer? I think dormant for a while. I think we're going to go back to the drawing board on it personally. I think the technology underpinning it is going to develop. I think maybe the hype around everyone jumping in to launch their own NFT situation is probably going to cool off a little bit. But I do think where we probably will see the biggest growth will be around loyalty schemes and the evolution of of what that looks like. So I think it will be a slow burn for the next couple of years. Yeah. And a simple answer, yes, I believe NFTs will still be a thing in 2023. It will be not a crazy mania bull run market as we've seen in 2021 and the first half of 2022 or part of 2022. We've labeled this trend or anticipatory trend of Web3 being having its rebranding moment. And the cases that we use is like Nike's Dot Swoosh and Starbucks' Odyssey, one of our clients, and even Reddit as a platform as changing the nomenclature and the language they use to be more accessible, as well as the platforms they use to onboard people to make it easier. So I do believe that more brands will experiment in this bear slash build market. And we encourage all of our clients to continue to assess and build without having the pressure of trying to gain so much hype as there was previously. So I'm excited to see what kind of utility-based and value-based NFTs come out, not necessarily JPEGs on a blockchain. Well, well done, Mike. I know that took it was a hard lot for of, him. A lot of effort <laughs> from you. We could talk about this so much. <laughs> So like metaverse, yes, web three, yes, gaming, yes. But I guess my question for you both is all of those have been used interchangeably sometimes in the industry, just as hype words. Like where do we see that evolving this year, if any, or do we think it's going to take us a little while as an industry to really hone in on that? I think gaming is underhyped and it has been underhyped for a while. Like, look at where the numbers are saying, where are people spending their time across formats? It's interesting to see a number of big gaming platforms looking at free-to-play, cross-platform, you know, huge titles. It's just all pointing to more inclusivity, more people getting into a game. Really, the idea of building out these sort of like, you know, universes and or places to socially hang out. Fortnite, they've been adapting, obviously, into creating like more social worlds or at least branded worlds. You know, Fortnite, Roblox kind of get used in this sort of metaverse space. I think the reason it's probably metaverse is the social element around it. Moreover, there's so much more to gaming than just Roblox and Fortnite. And I think that a lot more clients should should take gaming more seriously. 
I think when it comes to metaverse, I think people need to really understand like, what are you trying to get out of it? I think still the, you know, what is the technology that you're expecting someone to on-ramp into, say a quote unquote metaverse experience? Because metaverse is meant to be, you know, in its purest form, interoperable. We do not have any interoperable platforms as of now. They are multiverses in the terms that you can go into an environment and you can kind of get deep into an environment like a Roblox or a Fortnite or a Decentraland, but they're not talking to each other. So I would like kind of there to be a reassessment of the word or use of the word metaverse. Mm. I'd like us to maybe rebrand that immersive media experiences so people feel a bit more inclusive around the idea of AR and, and so forth and the idea of a sort of open world social get together is kind of like that sort of metaverse space, whether that is in a digital environment or a digital layer over a real life experience. I think that metaverse will have a bit of a a rethink. And I think that more clients should start thinking gaming first, metaverse second, versus again, this kind of hype cycle, which was how do I enter the metaverse? How do I make sure that I'm there first and foremost, without necessarily having a, a really good reason as to why, or a fully thought out plan as to why should their product be there? And what is the differentiated reason that they can either be experienced in a, a digitized environment? I concur. That was beautiful. Thanks. That was, so, that was so well said, and I agree with all of that. Awesome. Aligned. A few more. <laughs> Sustainability in tech and media how that will affect and impact media. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about the sustainability aspect. And one of our trends is accountability and sustainability. We are reading and seeing so many corporations have their own commitments and their statements of, we want to be you know, carbon neutral by X date, many of which are being called out and criticized of greenwashing. In many aspects, that's true. But then there's also a lot of great things that we noticed. Something we pointed out yesterday is that a majority of all the keynote speakers and technology companies that, that came out, the first thing they actually talked about was sustainability goals and what they're doing to achieve those. And I found that quite interesting to, to hear that that was the first thing that many of them want to put their foot down and say. So that does double down on their, on their commitment, which is uh, great to hear as a whole for humanity, but then also the development of the products that they're having. So one of my favorite products that I saw and heard about was the Samsung washing machine that they're trying to eliminate microplastics from the ocean. Um, a lot of that's the upstream of washing these things and a lot of the fabrics have microplastics in it that just gets pushed back into the water stream. And so having it come and being stopped at the source is really, really smart and really, really cool. So I love seeing products like that being developed. Goodyear developing a 90% sustainable tire. On top of that, it actually boosted the performance of the tire. So it's a win-win situation. And there's just a lot of other technology companies that are building their devices with sustainable products and having a recycling program and upcycling program. So I really respect seeing a lot of companies having those commitments and actually having accountability and bringing those through. From a media perspective, there are a lot of companies that we're exploring and working with already with some of our clients that are trying to look at more green ways to serve media and work within our industry. You know, a lot of that is supply chain from even just the digital ads and how much energy those cost and offsetting those and sort of counting and quantifying the impact and carbon footprint that our advertising has. So going through that supply chain is quite you know, an important piece of what we do in our field. So I know Dentsu, we're working on our own product for that too to come out this year, I believe, right? Yeah, so I'm excited to see, you know, how our clients adopt that. And if as a corporation, they have their own green goals from the product side of things, if that carries over into their media line of business as well. This is way up. So basically as a trend, way up, sustainability up. 
up, up. Yeah. I mean, not to get too meta about sustainability, but we need technology to hold us accountable on tracking against our sustainable efforts and how we're we're saving. So back to your full circle analysis, Mike, uh, that is it's full circle here with sustainability, technology, and media. Based on all the technology and innovation we just covered, what advice do you have for marketers to be acting on today? I mean, we're about to probably go into a relatively turbulent year, I think, for marketers. I think a lot of marketers are going to feel quite pressured around ensuring that every dollar counts. And it's not to say that every dollar previously shouldn't count, but, you know, I think we are likely to see slightly more hesitation, potentially smaller budgets, the potential of, you know, flexible pullbacks or like last minute additions of spend to market. So I think my recommendation for for brands, particularly this year, would be still look to have an innovation agenda set, still look at trying to earmark a certain amount of money and a hypothesis as to what you're trying to achieve. And it should be achieved based on where your audience is. And I think this maybe also helps remove maybe some of the hype cycle stuff that we've seen over the last couple of years. Have a sense of what is the short-term KPI you're looking to achieve, but also what is the long-term learning you're hoping to get out of it as well. I wouldn't say stop innovation in a turbulent year. I actually think in some cases, a lot of really great pivots are made in pressured years because if you don't have enough money to do the really crazy big thing, you might be more open-minded to trying something new in a smaller way elsewhere. The context of us going into 2023, one of the biggest factors is what you just said about having a turbulent economic year and not and having a lot of economic uncertainty, not only from our clients' business, but even the consumers that they're going after. That affects a lot of things from what they buy, how they buy, how long they keep something. When they upgrade, brand loyalty will play a huge role in that, or that'll have a role in brand loyalty as well. I've already spoken to a lot of clients who already mentioned that they'll be cutting a lot of their innovation budget up front, which is fine. It's, it makes sense as a business. But I think a lot of these constraints breed brilliance and a lot of these constraints breed innovation and in how you approach it too. So even if you don't have the large budgets that we might have had in previous years, the objective that you should have as your brand, you can still accomplish that through an MVP mm-hmm. or try to build something slower instead of having to hit crazy hype cycle, press news and things like that. Let's just reevaluate and see what can still be impactful that you can learn as we go into 2024 in the next year. I was um, I was on the uh, DV attention panel yesterday and we were sort of talking about testing in a, in a turbulent year. And I think, you know, for something like attention economy where, you know, Dentsy is just celebrating its, its fifth year of, of research that a number of tests that clients can do are still with large trusted platform partners that, you know, it's not about saying that you're not going to be spending in those areas that you know you're already safe, but the fact that you get to optimize against a brand new way to deliver, you know, better business outcomes for you is a really amazing innovation that you can test that sort of takes this fear factor out of it's an untested platform. Like you're still going to be there. You're still going to have all the rigor that you would normally expect around audiences and so forth, but you still get some really interesting learnings and like innovation opportunities. I think it's just about sort of what do you view as innovation? And I guess what is your sort of risk factor of trying something completely new versus maybe, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Chelsea, like small I innovation versus like capital I innovation. The moment we all wait for on these pods, the lightning round Vegas style. Most interesting fact you learned on the ground at CES. Edward Norton's a data nerd. That's (laughs) probably the the big one for me. I was actually quite surprised that there wasn't that much health tech in the sense of pandemic tech mm. that we saw in 2021 where there's like masks galore. 
mm-hmm. right? And fil- personal filtration devices. That wasn't too much of a, of a highlight this year. So that was that's interesting. A, that's a good one. Yeah. Weirdest stuff you saw on the floor. I know which one you're going to say, I hope. Otherwise, I'll say it later. But, the um, PP monitor? Yeah, the P monitor is weird. Yeah, the PP monitor, yeah. It's a monitor from, was it Withings? That you can, it's, imagine it's kind of like a toilet block that you have in the actual bowl of the toilet. And it's a health data, I don't want to say wearable, it's not, it's an IoT <laughs> device because you're certainly not going to wear it. And essentially it will analyze your pee as you pee on it. Which, I mean, the many questions that arose when Mike and I first saw this was, you know, how do you clean it? Do you clean it? Like, what I, poop gets on it? It's just a lot. So, yeah, that I was... So, yeah, I have so many questions. What happens if you live in a multi-person like person household? Oh, so it's oh. fine. That's that. fine. It will it will know the difference between different people's pee. So you no can... Shot. Yeah, it, so it will have a multi-profile pee monitor. But the thing is okay, that, like, it's I also it's, wonder it's what that would be app, like though. at house parties. Oh, like, God. It's what based, would it, happen? It's based on an app, though. So wouldn't you get notified every time I peed on it? I mean, yeah. That's what there's, I mean. There's, a men, there's many like, questions. You're, also, gonna, you're just going to know my bathroom. The data privacy around it. Like, what routine. happens if you're just a random friend over at your house and then you get to say, by the way, my pee monitor says you're vitamin D deficient? I don't know. It just feels like potentially a very weird Pandora's box of questions. Yeah, so that was weird. My other favorite, though, that I will say that cracked me up is that, so there's a lot of, obviously, you know, wellness tech has been huge at CES for a really long time. I do think there's kind of a pivot into mental health awareness and mood. LG has a, I think it was LG, have a fridge that has some light monitors and you can sort of change the the different lighting display based on your mood or to help elevate your mood or, or what have you. But one of the show floor areas said, spatial well-being and it was a hoover and I was like it was a vacuum cleaner and I was like really like is that how we're we're branding this now spatial well-being was vacuuming your house and I was like is that a spatial wellness thing I don't know it felt weird to me really felt like we were like pushing it clean house clean mind I guess so but it just felt like a bit of a stretch like this is how we themed it we themed your vacuum cleaner under spatial well-being I just thought it was really trying to Make something sound a bit fancier than Gen it was. Z rebranding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Least favorite word used in the technology space or one that you think is going to be like the hype word this year? I mean, generative AI is sort of already taking that mm-hmm. uh, a bit. It kind of kicked off in uh, Q4 last year and it's going to continue on as it gets more and more popular. I was surprised that there's so many people we spoke to this week that haven't heard about it or played with it yet or... I guess I'm just really that big of a geek. No, I, I mean, in the geek community, it's big news, yeah. for sure. I don't know. I I agree on generative AI. I think AR is going to come back. I think AR is mm-hmm. is going to have a glow up. Yeah, I think metaverse will kind of be toned down a bit. You know, when it was associated with so much hype and fanfare, it was easy to sort of associate everything into that. But yeah, I think gaming and AR is going to kind of take center stage more. One reason why you love or love to hate CES. That it's in Vegas? Yeah, I'm not a huge Vegas fan, I'll be honest. I feel like I can't walk more than maybe 30 steps before bumping into someone from the industry, which is kind of like being in a giant village (laughs) and everyone weirdly knows each other. So yeah, if you're trying to keep it low key or like under the radar, this is not the place for you. You're definitely going to bump into a million people, you know. Hey, are you the person from the cover with LeVar Burton? <laughs> That's going to be me. That is me with Geordie LaForge. You're right. 
And for context, everyone, I was on a panel with Sirius XM. Thank you, Sirius XM, for having me with LeVar Burton. And uh, he is an incredibly amazing, lovely person. But also as a Star Trek nerd, I was like, oh, shit, it's Geordie LaForge. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Sarah, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to having you back on real soon uh, to pulse check all of this technology, innovation and advancements uh, that we talked about today. Thank you awesome. so much. And Chelsea, good luck with your pending, expecting baby. baby. Thank you. If there's any um, technology that was on the show floor, artificial that, that wombs. That, let me know. <laughs> artificial wombs, 2024. <laughs> I would buy that for $100,000. So <laughs> screw the screens. I'll, I'll do the artificial womb. Womb tech. That'll be yeah, the next see, big and, trend. And it's powered by rolling screens. um, And thank you again for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere you can find your pods. Give us a like, subscribe, or send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. And in the meantime, be well.